Let's open the word of God to that gospel of the beloved apostle to the 12th chapter where we can look at the second of three transcendent events that he foretold there that would be initiated upon his crucifixion. John chapter 12, so that we can get right to work, let me just read a few verses instead of starting back at verse 20. Let me start at verse 28. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it, said that it thundered. Others said, An angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Amen and amen. amen. Three events in verses 31 and 32. The judgment of this world, we have spent a month looking at it from all angles. The second event, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And the third event, if I be lifted up from the earth in a Roman crucifixion, I will draw all men, all kinds of men, especially Gentiles considered, unto me. We want to deal with the second half of verse 31, John 12, 31b. And that is, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Let's go. John 12, 31b. The context of these three events is the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. The magnificence and praise, honor, and exalting of Jesus Christ. Because he has said that in verse 23. The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. He has said in verse 26, If anyone follows me, he will be honored along with me. Because honor was coming for Jesus Christ. In verse 28 that I just read to you, Father, glorify thy name. And Jesus meant that, as we have seen already on another Sunday, glorify thy name through me. Glorify yourself in what you do with me and to me. And the Lord said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again, meaning there was yet glory for the Lord Jesus Christ. These three events should be seen alongside the six events of the great mystery of godliness, which I'm going to trust that by now you could all quote to me. Some of you could. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, his glory should be your greatest ambition to see. Amen. It's not what he does for you. If that's the greatest thing that you think about Jesus Christ, you're selfish. He didn't save you for you. Right. <clears throat> He saved you for him. Amen. He made you for him. He saved you for him. Because the Lord hath made all things for himself. Right. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Amen. 
And the Lord has created all things for his pleasure. And so we should want to see the glory of Christ no matter how he gets glory out of our lives. Of course, if he wants to get glory out of our lives by us being his chosen vessels of mercy, praise the Lord for that. Indeed. But if he were to send our souls to hell, his righteous law approves it well. And if he gets glory from us as vessels of wrath, then he gets the glory. We should want him to be glorified. And this morning, looking at these verses and this second great event in verse 31, we want it to be for the glory of Jesus Christ. As in all comparative contests, and as in all comparative measures, the greater the adversary, or the greater the standard, the greater the victory, or the greater the measure. And so when we think about what we have before us today, we get to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ, not in the way he judged the world, and not how he's going to be lifted up on the cross and bring Gentiles in the way of conversion, but it is a personal enemy that he is going to vanquish. The devil himself. And the greatness of anyone in a comparative contest is determined by the greatness of the one vanquished. And the one vanquished is the devil here. And the devil was quite a foe. But the Lord Jesus Christ vanquished him and cast him out of heaven. And we want to rejoice in that today. Now, there's a sprinter at the University of Tennessee right now whose name is Christian Coleman, and he could very well be the next Usain Bolt, and he is measured by his comparative contests. Last year, he ran a new collegiate record, the fastest 100 meters that anyone in college has ever run. A few weeks ago at Clemson, he eclipsed a 20-year indoor world record in the 60-meter dash, by taking down Maurice Green's record. And last year in the World Championships, he finished second. But Usain Bolt was third. And so this young man has a lot of pressure on him and a lot of praise going in his direction because of taking down world records, taking down collegiate records that had stood for a long time, and beating Usain Bolt on a world stage. But now the Lord Jesus Christ had a world stage. And a universal stage. Universal Studios? We have some Universal Studios. And it's the universe. And the devil was the greatest created being God ever made. From all that the Bible tells us, the greatest created being in the universe. Until the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ took him down. The devil's authority or rank among angels kept even Michael respectful of him. Now that we have seen what we're dealing with in John 12, 31, and it's the second half of that verse, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. What I'm about to do and the glory that I'm about to get is because I'm going to throw the devil out of heaven. Right. He is not going to be there to accuse the brethren any longer. I'm going to be seated at the right hand of the authority on high. In Jude, verse 9, it tells us that when Moses died, there was a conflict for Moses' body. 
And Michael the archangel did not bring a railing accusation against the devil. When we think of Michael the archangel, we think of the highest angel that there is in the Bible. But we've got to remember the devil. And Michael did not bring a railing accusation. He did not call the devil names and ridicule him in his conflict with him for the body of Moses. He said, the Lord rebuke thee. That right, there's a telling statement there that Michael would not seek to rebuke the devil himself, but would say, the Lord rebuke thee. When the devil has liberty and is given freedom against any man, the man stands no chance against him. Do you see how long it took the devil with our, with our first parents? How long do you want to say that exchange took in the Garden of Eden? Five minutes? Three minutes? And our parents went down to the wiles of the devil. How long did it take David to number Israel when God gave him over to Satan? It's the first thing he did. Let's number Israel. Great idea. How long did it take Peter to back off of his words that, Lord, I will go with you all the way tonight. I will go to prison and I will go to death. But Jesus gave him over to Satan for a short period of time. How long did it take him? A few hours, well, he was sleeping in minutes. And a few hours after falling asleep three times, when the Lord asked him to stay awake, he was denying the Lord Jesus Christ three times. And that's just a reminder of how great this opponent is. We are not confused about Satan in his church. He cannot do anything without God's permission. I wished, and I hope that right now in a few words that may be misunderstood, I can convey something to you about how to think of the angels and Satan and the Lord Jesus Christ in his mediatorial role. God is supreme. The devil has always been under God. Jesus is under God. The angels have always been under God. And so if, but if you think too much of the supremacy of God, you get confused about what role did the devil ever have, or does Jesus have, or do angels have? And you'll say, it's just a figurehead. It's just a puppet head role. Do not do that. God chose to reveal the government of the universe to us by vice regents that he has. The devil was one. Jesus is one. The angels are ones. Many of them. A countless number of them. They execute his will for God. Does God need an angel to execute his will? No. He's chosen to have this army of angels. And we actually like the thought. Did we just sing in that song by Martin Luther, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, that he is Lord Sabaoth. He is the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of an army in heaven because we love that concept. That there is a pavilion in the center of an army and the army is innumerable. And it stretches in all directions as far as your eye can see. And those are the angels of God. 
but he has put you in his pavilion with him. Psalm 27 and verse 5 tells us that in the secret compartment of his pavilion. We love that, that imagery that we have, and it's more than imagery. Because there are real angels in this room today, and there are real angels in the yard. Because I've asked in the name of Jesus for them to be in the parking lot. Good angels are in here, and evil angels are out there. And if you're not guarding your thoughts right now, you're inviting them in. Because you're giving place to the devil. But God has chosen... Who is the supreme commander of all the nations of the earth? God. But has he given some of that authority at times to the devil? He did. Has he given that authority now to the Lord Jesus Christ in his human nature as our Redeemer? Yes, he has. And did our Redeemer in his human nature defeat the devil in his created spirit nature? Yes, he did. But don't get confused because there's... It's just like people get confused about Jesus Christ sometimes and reduce him to a concept and that there's God. But under, under God is his son, Jesus Christ, in a human nature. Right. It required a human nature to die on the cross and to be buried and to rise again. And it's, it's the man, Christ Jesus, that is the one mediator between God and men. And it's the man, Christ Jesus, the male seed of the woman that defeated the devil. By the very means that the devil brought a curse on women. Our songwriter has written of it. That God cursed childbearing. But it's by childbearing that we're all saved. The childbearing of Mary that brought forth the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to go on. I just want you to... When we think about the devil being in charge of the nations, is he really in charge of the nations. God was in charge of the nations. But he gave some of that to the devil. The devil said so in Luke chapter 4, and while the devil's a liar from the beginning, he didn't lie in anything that we're able to read there to the Lord Jesus Christ, who would have called his hand on it. Jesus didn't answer, those kingdoms aren't yours to give. Jesus said, Thou shalt, you know, thou, thou shalt worship only the Lord thy God. Right. I'm not going to jump off, I'm not going to tempt the Lord God by jumping off this temple. We're not confused about the devil. He is nothing more than potter's clay for the potter's personal pleasure. Right. And the potter's going to get immense pleasure from him for eternity in the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He could not touch Job unless God allowed him to do so by very specific limitations. God was very specific with him. I will remove the hedge around Job and you may touch his stuff, but you may not touch him. Then I will remove that hedge further and you may touch Job's body, but you may not take his life. And so it was very specific. Yet God gave the devil a role in the world, influence over men, and temptation of them. This is also true of Jesus Christ, 
who is under God, yet rules over all, and I am not making them equal, except in an aspect of their authority under God. Jesus destroyed the devil and made an open show of him. Amen. In Col- do you want to go back to Colossians 2? I see that you do. Colossians chapter 2, and let me read a few verses further. In my effort to save time this morning, in my long introduction... I avoided these verses, and now I'll give them to you. We started at verse 6 in Colossians 2 and read down through verse 10, because in the last half of verse 10 of Colossians 2, it said that Jesus is the head of all principality and power. And then it describes the circumcision that we have by cutting off our sins by Jesus Christ's death in verse 11. Our baptism and the important role of a Baptist baptism in verse 12, because it has to have a burial, it has to have a resurrection, and it is only done for those who have faith in the operation of God. There's three rules about baptism in verse 12. It has to have a picture of burial, of resurrection, and it has to be for those with the faith of the operation of God. Believer's baptism. Verse 13 that we have been quickened from death and trespasses and sins. Verse 14, the cross of Christ put away the Old Testament ordinances against us. And verse 15, what else happened at the cross? And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now don't think that I'm making Jesus and the devil even close to each other, because they're not close to each other. Jesus made an open show of them and spoiled him. That means to raid his kingdom and to pillage and plunder it. And he pillaged you and plundered me out of that kingdom. And so it's all right here in one glorious verse, Colossians 2.15. He spoiled principalities and powers. They had a principality. That is a territory under the dominion, and it's the domain of a prince. But there was a greater prince, King Jesus, who went into that kingdom of the devil and pillaged it. He made a show of them openly. If you understood what was going on in the spiritual realm when Jesus died on the cross, he delivered us from the curse of death that the devil had got us involved in by his death arts in the Garden of Eden. Jesus delivered us from it. By the obedience of one, he undid all the disobedience of one because of the devil manipulating our first parent, our first father. Oh, we love this verse. Triumphing over them in it. They thought that they had Jesus on the cross and they had him there, but on the cross, Jesus defeated the devil. Beautiful verse. Spoiling principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. He is a puppet in the hand of God. If you read Job chapter 2 carefully, you will find out that he's but a puppet. He's a marionette, and God pulls the strings and moves the hand. You ought to read it and read it very carefully. Okay? You don't recognize it. Job chapter 2. What you're doing to me is extending this part of the John chapter 12. But maybe not. I want you to see how much 
God and the devil know how limited the devil is. Job 2, 3, the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause? Who was moved against Job? The Lord was. Who's speaking in Job 2, 3? The Lord God is. But he's saying, thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. He was so in charge of the event of what was happening to Job that it's saying here, God did it. Satan answered, the Lord and said, skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now. Are you with me? Job 2, 5. Put forth thine hand now. I thought it was the devil that did what happened to Job. No, you are mistaken. Because the devil is such a servant to God, he is a puppet, and it is God's hand inside the puppet of Satan that moves Satan. God is not responsible for the wickedness of Satan, but what the wickedness of Satan ever is allowed to accomplish, it's the hand of God. Put not, but put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand. But save his life. Right. Whose hand is he in? Whose hand was Job's life in? Satan, yes, you can say yes. You can say both. He was in Satan's hand, but it was God's hand, and Satan couldn't do anything with his hand that God with his hand hadn't purpose to do. I remember a conflict that I had a great long while ago, a long, long time ago, about the dominion of God and the affairs of this world. And I was accused of making Satan and sinners but puppets in the hand of God. And I remember that accusation flying at me, and saying, thank you very much for affirming the scriptural basis for my doctrine. Amen. And this is the passage. Even the devil himself is a puppet on the hand of God. All of that was to say, we know who's in charge, and no one should ever think that we're confused about the devil in this church. The devil couldn't even touch pigs without Jesus giving them permission. May we please, may we pretty please, please let us go over into these swine. Every second he hesitated in his answer, they couldn't move. Okay, go ahead and take that herd of swine down a steep place off a cliff and drown themselves in the sea. And let that be a little early token in this sermon about what the devil wants to do to you. He wants to destroy you from the inside out and turn your world and life upside down. He is a destroyer from the beginning. He is a murderer and a liar. And he will tempt you and tease you with sins all the while he knows what he's going to get in the end. He loves STDs. The devil loves STDs because he can trick and tempt and tease people with the delightful prospect of sexual sins knowing that he's going to destroy you with sexual sins. He will destroy your relationships. He'll destroy your body. Judas Iscariot is such a great example. 
Judas Iscariot ended his life without the money, with a terribly condemned conscience, and even his suicide effort accomplished its goal of killing him, but didn't work very well because it dashed his bowels across the potter's field. And that's what the devil wants to do with every one of you. And if you give him place by believing his lies, like he lied to our first mother Eve, look at the effect on the human race because of Adam and Eve. Eve, doesn't it look good for food? Doesn't it look good to your sight? Doesn't it look like a tree that might make you wise like God? Look at those temptations and look at the consequence. It ruined her marriage. It ruined her family. One brother killed another brother. Unbelievable. They died three deaths. Physical death. Spiritual, not in this order. And the second death. Because of listening to the lies of the devil. But we have a champion. And he came out of the womb of a woman descendant of Eve. And it's our Lord Jesus Christ. To ignore the devil is to be unprepared for his devices. And most of all, in my view of the word of God, to steal glory from Jesus Christ. I, want, I only want to put the devil up a little ways for you to know what Jesus took down. And Jesus took him down by making an open show of him. Okay, it says the prince of this world. That's clearly Satan, the devil himself, that old serpent from Eden. Let's turn back to John, and instead of the 12th chapter, let's go to chapter 14, where we have more witnesses in the Word of God, more verses that tell us that this terminology, the prince of this world, is the devil. Now, if he's the prince of this world, what is his principality? The world. Don't think that he was lying to... You ought to read the commentaries. I do it for entertainment. They all think he was lying to Jesus. Then why is he called the prince of this world? Do you know what they'll do with some of these verses? Make this God. Unbelievable. The confusion they get themselves in by not trusting the whole word of God. And wanting to deal with all the Chaldean and the Greek and the Hebrew and the other variations and versions instead of trusting one that we believe is word perfect. And when we trust one that is word perfect, it saves us from so much grief. John chapter 14 and verse 30. Jesus is speaking. I believe it's in the red writing. If you have a Bible different than mine and have red writing. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. How much was there in the Lord Jesus Christ for the devil to work with? Nothing. How much is there in you for the devil to work with? A whole lot. And so we don't give him place in our lives. But notice, it's the title, the prince of this world. Jesus gave him the title, the prince of this world, again, as he did in 1231. 1611, Jesus is still speaking before his crucifixion. John 16 and verse 11, the Holy Spirit is going to reprove the world of sin in verse 9, of righteousness in verse 10, of judgment in verse 11, because the prince of this world is judged. And that's the devil. And that's Jesus speaking about what he's going to do to the devil. In Ephesians chapter 2, he is called the prince of the power of the air. There's more power in this air than you ramming it 
by a turbocharger or supercharger into the cylinders of your engine and heating it with gasoline to run your car. There's more power in the air. It's part of his principality because he's a spirit. He's not in your PU. He doesn't have a forked tail. He doesn't carry a pitchfork and he doesn't wear a red suit. That's the devil's lie about the devil to get you laughing at him. That he's not for real. That he's like the other man in the red suit. Satan claws. Ephesians 2 tells us that he's the prince of the power of the air. The Jews called him the prince of devils in Matthew chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 12. He's rightfully a prince with a principality by those devils under him and the rule given to him. He is the prince of the world with delegated authority over nations. Turn back to Daniel chapter 10. There's, there's devils behind nations. There's devils behind empires. And we can read about it in Daniel chapter 10. This is political science of the highest level. But now this prince has to report to another prince. This prince that we're reading about and the prince over these princes reports to our prince, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's the head of all principality and power and throne and might and dominion. And he's made higher than the heavens. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel chapter 10, Gabriel is speaking to Daniel and telling him about the collision of world empires. In verse 12, he said, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Isn't that exciting? When you pray, things happen. <clears throat> when Daniel prayed, Gabriel was sent from heaven. I am come because of your words. You wanted understanding of what's going to take place. I'm come to give you understanding. Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. For three weeks I was held up by a devil in the kingdom of Persia. The prince of Persia, no earthly prince, held up an angel. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes. Oh yes. Because we're going to read about him in Revelation chapter 12. Michael the archangel and his angels fought. And the devil and his angels fought. Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. For yet the vision is for many days. There was a devil behind the Persian Empire. And then Gabriel goes on to say, verse 20, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael your prince. So there's princes for the church and there's princes against the church, and there's princes in the kingdoms of this world. And because of the way that the word prince is used here, we are not thinking that Alexander the Great got his hands on Gabriel and held him up for three weeks. We believe that there were devils in these kingdoms with, 
fighting and opposing each other, which makes sense since we're going to encounter a spiritual war in Revelation 12 between those spirits. He is called the God of this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, he's the God of this world in the sense that the word God is used with a small g in the Bible as the ruler of this world. And he's the God of this world because he is the divine or the spiritual power behind devil worship. And he is considered to be the spirit of divinity that so many worship. When they worship gods, they're worshiping devils, as I gave you in your preparatory email yesterday from 1 Corinthians 10. There is a sphere of ruling authority far greater than Washington, D.C. Look at, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and remind ourselves of something said there that we rush over and sometimes misunderstand, thinking that the Illuminati are a threat to Christians. They've never been a threat to Christians. They make stronger Christians and better Christians. Persecution has made better Christians, not worse Christians. It's too bad we didn't have a little bit of persecution nowadays because prosperity is what makes bad Christians. And protection makes bad Christians. Peace makes bad Christians. Because there's too much peace, prosperity, and protection, and pampering, so they get lazy. It's what happened throughout the whole Old Testament. When they were protected, they would wander off into idolatry. When they were in persecution, they would cry unto the Lord, and the Lord would deliver them again. Let's keep our priorities straight. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not... Let's get verse 11 because of what's said there. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So what is our context? But the devil and his wiles, his tactics, his strategies against Christians. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not communism. It's not socialism. It's not the World Council of Christian Churches. But against principalities. That's princes with a domain. Against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And those high places are the ranks of devils, not political high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. It doesn't say in verse 13, wherefore, join some political action committee. Wherefore, sign some petition. There might be, at some time, some limited role for doing those as a good citizen of a nation. But that isn't what our real war is. Our real war does not involve flesh and blood, but the, re- the devil. And we have been given weapons that we can stand against the devil and withstand the devil and resist him. And he will flee because he is a defeated foe. And we have the winning, the winning conqueror on our side. And he has given us the tools that we can resist and he will flee. That is tremendous language. And we can withstand. Verse 13, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, when he's really coming after you, and having done all, to stand. 
Stand, therefore. And then it tells us how we can defeat the devil. He's a liar, so we're in truth. Everything we do is honest and true. And so on and so forth. And we've preached that before. We're not going to do that at this time. It's a spiritual war that has little or nothing to do with politics, so we fight spiritually. This diabolical spirit is the enemy of Jesus and you and will do his best to destroy you. Your enemy is smarter than you, stronger than you, does not die, does not move away, does not get distracted, will only accept your suicide. He loves suicide. Why can't I commit suicide, people write me? After all, it's my life. No, it isn't your life. You're lying to yourself and believing it. It's God's life. He gave it to you. And you're worshiping the devil with child sacrifice when you kill yourself. Because you're the child and you're killing yourself. It's the worst form of devil worship. Unless you want to put child sacrifice in there, I'm not going to argue with you. He committed, he got our first parents to reject God and commit triple suicide for all of us. An incredible accomplishment. And he plans to destroy you as a roaring lion. He, he roams about seeking whom he may devour. There is a real enemy, but there is a real victor. And there is real armor to put on. And there is real resisting. And there is resisting that works. And we shall have our day. We shall trample him under our feet. And cast him into hell along with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus I know. And Paul I know. How many in here does he know? But who are you? There's two beings that we never want to hear the words of. Who are you? From God, I never knew you. From the devil, who are you? Because he knows the Job's of this world. He knows the Paul's of this world. And he knows us. If we love the Lord Jesus Christ and live like the sons of God and resist him. He has to flee from us because we're the Lord's. And there's a mark on us. He sees that. There's angels with us that remind him of who we are and who defends us. They are terrified of the Lord Jesus Christ. They fell and worshipped him when he was in a state of humility before he got his throne in heaven. Do you know what it's like now? He has a throne in heaven. Oh, it's beautiful. Your enemy tricked our first parents to reject God and commit triple suicide. Your murderous enemy saw Abel as a son of God and stirred up his brother Cain to kill him. Think about it. There was murder in the earth, and the Bible tells us exactly where it came from. It came from the devil trying to cut out the line of the Redeemer. What did Eve say when she had another son named Seth? I have gotten a man from the Lord to replace Abel. Oh, yes. Did Seth make it? Yes. 
Brethren, we, oh Lord, we love you, Lord Jesus Christ, and thank you, Heavenly Father, for your Son, Jesus. Your enemy, the devil, invented polygamy for the world to multiply babes to ruin your fathers in the faith. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because I'm not going to waste my time trying to take you back to kindergarten. Your enemy knew his conqueror must come through Judah, so he perverted his sons. Remember Judah's sons tried to keep the seed from coming through Judah's line? Don't remember? We just read Genesis. Your enemy knew his conqueror must come by David, so he first moved Saul many times to try to kill him. And then he tempted David himself to several capital crimes. Are you familiar with all that? Your enemy knew his conqueror came from Bethlehem, so he had Herod kill babies around Bethlehem. Your enemy saw his conqueror get baptized by John, so he tempted him in the desert when he was hungry and vulnerable. Your enemy entered Judas's heart and incited him to betray your Savior. Your enemy sifted Peter, a chief apostle, and led him to deny Jesus Christ. Your enemy had you as a willing slave without will or power to leave him. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, you were following the course of this world and obeying the devil himself. You did not care and could not see, for he blinded your eyes to God. The God of this world hath blinded the eyes of them which believe not. 2 Corinthians 4. You opposed truth, and you opposed even yourself as God's enemy, because Satan had you trapped, and he took you captive at his will. There is a will that is still allowed to take captive any man except those that God grants repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And God has granted us to believe the truth and to change your life because of the truth is a tremendous coup in the political realm of the earth. And that's why truth is so precious to us. Truth about everything. Truth about our Bible. Truth about baptism. Truth about Christ's sonship. Truth about Satan claws. Every bit of truth because every lie is from the devil. Have you ever re tried to reason about the truth with someone and they oppose themselves coming and going, contradicting themselves and blaspheming as the Apostle Paul would describe it in Acts chapter 13? Do you know the only rescue from that? It's not getting a better outline. It's not having your pastor come and do it for you. It is God granting repentance Amen. to the acknowledging of the truth and delivering us out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Let me, I want you to, I want to read this, that to you. We may refer to it again, but it's 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's written to a minister. It is Paul to Timothy. Timothy was Paul's favorite minister, his favorite understudy, his most faithful ministerial student. And Paul told Timothy, even when you do your best, you are going to run up on people opposing themselves and you cannot convert them. God's going to have to do it. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, The servant of the Lord, Timothy, must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, 
2 Timothy 2.25 now. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. When God opens your mind, like he opened the heart of Lydia, and you receive apostolic doctrine, you all of a sudden have a weapon that can destroy the liar. Look at how it's worded. That they may deliver themselves. That they may deliver themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. That's the truth of the gospel. Do you know how important that is? Those apostles went everywhere and preached truth. You've been bowing down to a little shrine of Diana. You hear the Apostle Paul after he has raised the dead. And he says, there is no God made of silver. The God that created all things is in heaven, and he created you. Do you look anything like that stupid piece of silver? You hear some truth from God's word. All of a sudden, you have a tool against the devil's lie about Diana of the Ephesians. And you can deliver yourself because... Listen, you're not going to believe that truth unless God opens your eyes to it. So I hope you understand that I've got regeneration coming up front there and opening the heart of Lydia that she attended in those things that are spoken by Paul. And then when you have truth in your arsenal, you can stand and withstand the devil even in his evil day. How much do we want to compromise truth in here? How much do we want to compromise truth? When you compromise truth, what are you asking? Satan, please come and join our church. We want you to be a member here as well. Nothing. Let's not change a thing until God sends a tsunami of evidence from the Bible only. Not from heaven, not from an angel, not from ten angels, not from any man, not from all men, from the Bible. A tsunami. Until then, we don't change. If he shows us something, we will change and celebrate the change. Amen. Truth is so powerful. You wait in Jerusalem until I endue you with power from on high, and then you go out and preach, and they turn the world upside down. As soon as you give truth to people, and I'm talking about real truth, I am not talking about make-believe make truth and pretend truth that you think you know about politics. This, these are the politics that count, and this is real truth about politics, and this is insider information. Why can't you be happy with it? Right. This is insider information. Who else knows about this going on in the universe? We know how it goes on, and we know who wins. We know the outcome already. Amen. We know the timetable for it. And we know the captain of the host. We know some of the names of the host. It's beautiful. Your enemy is the power of darkness. For he with blinding ignorance deceives men. Let me run through a brief timeline before we have our break. Let me run through it very fast. Consider a condensed timeline of his position, his activities, and his history with God and men. He was created before Adam. He was created before Genesis 1 in a holy condition. How do we know that? Because when Genesis 1, 2, 3 and the verses there took place... They were there celebrating it. Job 38 and verse 7 tells us that. You're going to have to look it up yourself if you don't believe it. 
He was a high and mighty angel, most likely the highest, like Michael the archangel. We've already seen that. He sinned by pride and lost his office. Job refers to it in chapter 4, chapter 15, chapter 25, 1 Timothy 3, 6. It's called the pride of the devil is what caused him to fall. Jude 1, 6 tells us he lost his office. He kept not his first estate, but lost it through pride. I will be like the Most High is a metaphorical reference to him in Isaiah 14. Satan took about one-third of the angelic host with him in his rebellion, as we read in Revelation chapter 12. He deceived and seduced our first parents by Eve for the death penalty on all of us, a a threefold death penalty on all of us. He had the right to return to heaven, where he accused saints like Job and like Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest in Zechariah chapter 3. Consider how great his wide power of destruction was without a hedge around Job. Go back to Job chapter 1, and you're going to have to get there in a hurry on your electronic devices, because I'm reading. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. I'm at verse 15 of chapter 1. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. The devil's able to raise up an army in a minute. And they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, verse 16, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, a hurricane or a tornado, and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, your sons, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Now that's a lot of havoc in four verses, and the devil did it. And you're going to say to me, or did the Lord do it? Amen. Amen. Yes, to both. But God allowed the devil to do that. And so we're going through a a little timeline of the devil. The Bible tells us that Satan moved David to number Israel, which cost the lives of 70,000 men. Our Lord confronted and defeated many of his projects. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus said, when the 70 came back to him and said, Lord, the spirits are subject unto us. What else does it say right there? The spirits are subject unto us in thy name. Yes, it's the name of Jesus, even in his humiliation. Before he's promoted, they're subject unto us. We're able to order devils around easily. Jesus said, I beheld Satan fall from heaven. I was watching what you were doing. I saw his power being removed and you, you given power over him. And I've given you power to tread on serpents and on scorpions and all the power. How much of the power of the enemy? All the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any, nothing shall by any means hurt you. Do you like these kind of things? Amen. If any of your children are afraid at night, why don't you remember some of the good verses? Nothing 
shall by any means hurt you. That's right. I got your attention, didn't I, Gloria? Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, I've got a bigger blessing for you, that your names are written in heaven. That's all in Luke 10. It's a wonderful, wonderful passage. How about that Gadarene? When you read Revelation chapter 20, and it says a mighty angel comes down from heaven and binds the devil with a chain, are you, how do you, do you picture it? What kind of a chain is it? I know that one of the, the sweet daughters of one of our families last night, when asked that question, said it was a golden chain. But it's not a chain. Right. A chain couldn't even hold the Gadarene. Right. Do you remember? They couldn't chain the Gadarene. He'd tear those chains and break them asunder because they tried to do so. But Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee in a storm and came to that land for one man. And he delivered that Gadarene. And they came, that Gadarene ran to the Lord Jesus Christ, hit the deck in front of him, and worshipped him. We know who thou art. Thou art the Holy One of God. Are you come to torment us before the time? Have you changed the timetable on things? Oh, they knew the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when they had to beg him to go into a pig. The devils, even in his humiliation, knew that he was Lord and he was their judge. When Jesus allowed Satan to have Peter, Peter denied him within hours. Michael could not rebuke Satan, but Jesus could. Are you familiar with it? Right. In his temptations? We got to see it. Luke 4, I'm just about done. Hurry, Luke 4, I mean done until break. Luke chapter 4, oh, I like this. Michael the archangel. Did Gabriel say that he needed Michael's help over there in Daniel chapter 10? Gabriel needed Michael's help because he's one of the chief princes. The Bible tells us they're ranked. There's thrones. There's might. There's dominion. There's principalities. There's powers. Those are ranks of angels. Those words are ranks of angels. There's a whole kingdom of them. Two kingdoms of them. One with Jesus Christ at the top and one with the devil at the top. And the one with Jesus Christ at the top has already won. Amen. Michael the archangel would not bring a railing accusation against the devil, but would say, the Lord rebuke thee. What did Jesus say to the devil? Verse 8. Now let's get verse 7. Because the devil said, well, let's get, oh, let's go all the way to 5. Because the devil taking him up into a high mountain, this is the devil taking Jesus into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. And to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. Oh, I love that. Get thee behind me, Satan. Why did Michael say that? Michael can't say it. Because the devil outranks him. Michael couldn't say it. But the Lord Jesus Christ can say it because Jesus outranks him. What title does Jesus have that is the most glorious of all? And don't mess up here, please. What is the title? It's in Hebrews chapter 1. Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. When we talk about Jesus being the Son of God, we are not dealing with a light matter. 
The Son of God is the greatest title of the Lord Jesus Christ because unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. It's it's the glorious title. Get thee behind me, Satan. Oh, Lord Jesus, we love you. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you try to tell him that. Let him tell him that. But don't forget that you are a son of God yourself. He knows. He knows. And if you'll resist him, he'll run away. That's another way to say the word, he'll flee. He'll run away. Our Lord destroyed sin. And so the devil was confined to earth after he was thrown out of heaven because there's nothing to lay to the charge of God's elect. He was bound from further deceiving the nations in Revelation chapter 20 so that the apostles could go into all the world and preach the gospel and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And there were men converted in all nations. And he will be cast into the lake of fire for eternal torment because the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25 and verse 41. We have a glorious Savior. And I emphasize the word glorious. Because John 12 is about the glory of the Son of God by three transcendent events. And number two that we're dealing with right now is now shall the prince of this world be cast out. I'm going to die on the cross. I will rise from the dead. I will ascend into heaven. And heaven is not big enough for both of us. I will throw him out of heaven. And my gospel will go everywhere and even find some idol-worshiping pagan Gentiles in North America to come together in the Piedmont of the Carolinas and celebrate me on March 11th, 2018.